Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to, you know, we're not, we're not doing a joke. This week, we're just giving me my flowers, because when we did last week's podcast, my hot take was that Jason Robertson's going to be re-signed by the time we started this week, and guess what, man? He's back in business, back on the stars, ink is dry, so we're going to do a little bit of Jason Robertson stargazing themed. Um, joining me, as always, is Mark, and then the other newcomer to the DVD staff, Michael Easley is joining us this fine Friday evening. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be yeah. here. On a, on a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you to be on a podcast with somebody that accurately predicted Jason Robertson would have signed his contract by now? Oh, yeah. Got to be a 10. <laughs> no, it's, it's, of course, he, he uh, got the deal done. I think it was late Wednesday night they announced it. Um, and it's, it's sort of the last bit of business. Now we can officially transition out of what if mode and we can officially start looking at the roster and looking at you know how this team is actually going to look when the pucks drop in earnest in anger and the season kicks off and um you know we're going to talk obviously robertson we're going to talk more broadly about the lineups and what this team might look like and how the season might shape up but before we get into that michael do you want to just introduce yourself to the uh the fans out there the the stargazers as we call them Definitely. Uh, my name is Michael Easley. I'm from Central Texas, uh, Belton Temple area, and I've been a diehard fan of the Stars since 2017, I'd say. But mostly I was obsessed the year that it went to the Winter Classic, and they had that crazy Stanley Cup final run, and I've pretty much been hooked ever since. Nice. I was, I was going to ask, I always, I always like to, we were um, you know, talking in the podcast about my handle is a reference to a very cup of coffee, Benoit Brunet stars player. So I always like to ask um, who, when you think about your stars fandom, right? Who are the, who are the jerseys that come to mind? Well, as a kid, I used to actually play uh, NHL 94 and that was the first year, 93, 94 team. And the starting lineup was Mike Madonna, Russ Cortnall, Dave Gagne, Darian Hatcher and Mark Tenorti. So when I think of early stars and when I first became a fan, those are the guys I think of. But uh, yeah, it's you can't really go wrong with the stars lineup these days, in my opinion. Ooh, that's that's them's fighting words. Mark, would you uh, how, would you feel like you can go wrong with the stars lineup these days? Well, I, I'm still getting past the fact that mine are Dino Cicerelli and Neil, Neil Broughton. So <laughs> yes, you can go wrong. They haven't won a Stanley Cup yet. It's it's uh well it's it's awesome to you know I remember the Winter Classic as well that was a a wonderful experience the the sounds and, and they put on a great show maybe we'll get another one here one of these days it's it, it's always funny to hear about journeys and um you know Mark what's what's new in your neck of the woods well I I was awake and and I was ready to go with the Robertson thing since that happened in the middle of my evening as opposed to late at night after everyone went to bed um but beyond that I'm just fired up that we got we got teenagers who are gonna make the stars opening day roster and i think that's exciting yeah i mean let's 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 go ahead and uh, why not let's let's rip up the show order let's go ahead and start there and of course the teenagers you're referencing are, are wyatt johnson uh, johnston and logan stankoven are still with the team at this point 
looking at the roster, there are there are spaces available, and it, it does seem very likely that the Dallas Stars break camp with at least one of those guys um, with the roster, and that's that's pretty exciting, I I would say. Well, it's not something that we would have seen under Rick Bonus. I think is is maybe the way I would look at it, and and it's kind of interesting to see a coach coming in here who's not afraid to play kids. Not afraid to, yeah. I mean, I think the last time we saw a teenager jump right into the lineup, it was Miro Heiskanen, and that turned out okay. So it's, uh, you know, it's it's been a very fascinating. You know, we we've talked about kind of the holy trinity of stars prospects with Bork, um, Johnston, Stankov, and of course Bork was eligible for the AHL, which always seemed like his likely destination. Both Johnston and Stankoven are in the spot where they have nine games worth of service time with the Stars. They can play nine games, at which point Dallas has to make the decision to either keep them for good or send them all the way back to juniors. There's no AHL option for either of the players, which is why it is particularly significant that they're you know, still with still on the roster, still in it with a shout to make the team. And um, Michael, let's bring you into the conversation. Which of the two of the two do you think makes the most sense uh, as a, a, you know, at the NHL level right now? You know, it's tough to say. Um, when I've seen them in preseason this year, they've both impressed at times. Uh, looking at their stats from last year, they both kind of blew it up. I think that either of them really could make an impact and be a good fit on the bottom six of Ford. I think so too. And, and I was talking offline with, with a um, friend of the podcast, Tyler Mayer, and, and he was talking about Stankoven and he, it, I agreed with this. Stankoven seems so in my brain and correct me if I'm wrong, right? When I think about Johnston, what really makes his case for me is that his profile is more of that, you know, full rink player, good in all three zones, you know, offensive skill level, defensive, like he's, he's more of a does everything type, which seems like, you know, the, the kind of guy that you can use in a, a number of, you know, when you are thinking about a young player, right, finding the right amount of ice time and finding the right opportunities is always a big challenge. And Johnston to me seems like a little bit of an easier fit because he can do a little bit of everything, which means that, you know, Coach DeBoer can can kind of play him in a bunch of different places and find minutes. Whereas Stankoven is more of a feast or famine guy at this point. Like he is, you know, he he's he's a bulldog on the puck. He's tenacious, but he he doesn't. And, and again, I've seen very little of him. Uh, not all the preseason games have been broadcast and everything before that's junior. So it's it's you know largely throwing darts. But Stankoven seems like the type that needs a more defined situation to play. Right, he kind of needs. The, a specific environment versus Johnson, which, you know, he's, which gets back to Tyler's point where if he sticks, it's either going to be because he's, it's, it's either going to be, it's all or nothing, right? He's either going to be a superstar from day one, or there's going to be kind of traditional rookie struggles. Well, and I, I would say also that Stankoven's game is a much more physical game. And even though he may have, you know, the, these fire plug legs, uh, there, there was a point in, in the Colorado game, uh, the, this last Colorado game, where where Val Nutrition just kind of walked him down the down the the boards, and that's probably not something that he's used to having happen. Yeah. And and he seems to me to be somebody who's going to just benefit more from a year extra uh, age on that body because that's what his game is about. And I that think reminds Johnson's me a lot of, game, of Ty Delandria. And right, exactly. That, and I was yeah. going there. Yeah. And, and just, yeah, I remember after Ty's rookie year, 
there were some comments about the way that he wanted to play. He still had kind of a young man's body, right? He hadn't filled in. He hadn't put on the, he hadn't had that full year at the NHL level, building mass, building muscle, building strength. And for the type of game that he wanted to play, that kind of sandpaper, aggressive, you know, run your, you know, that, that sort of element. It's, it's hard to do that and pivoting to Stankover. It's hard to do that when you're, you know, 19 years old in a league against, you know, grown ass men. Right. So I, I can definitely see what you're saying there. Yeah, and, and I think Delandry has been there enough that he's he's to that point. And 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 interestingly enough, I think Riley Damiani is is kind of that same kind of player, maybe without the 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 mass that Stankhoven brings, but he brings that 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 chirpy get in your face type game, and he's learned how to bounce off the hits as he's gotten older. And and so now I think he's at a point where he's ready for the NHL. Yeah, I mean, I know before, and, and I think he gets back. They expect him to start practicing over the weekend with the, uh, he's carrying a broken finger right now. So, sorry, Damian. Sorry, I was talking to Landry. Yeah, Damiani, I think he he has definitely feels like he is starting to learn to play at the NHL level. Yep. Which I guess brings us to, so, you know, Mark, in your eyes, who makes the roster? I, I think the way it's setting up right now, it's, it's Johnston and Delandria. They're they're talking about uh, Delandria being uh, ready for practice on on the beginning of the week. Um, that being the case, I think he's going to be on the opening day roster, and and I think Johnston they're going to give him a full nine games look. I think so as well, and I think it's, it it seems like, and and obviously it's preseason, and you know, grain of salt, right? But it seemed like DeBoer really took a shine to Ty's game, and it seems like, and and we've talked a lot about his game seven cameo against the Flames and how well Ty played, and he did, right? That's not to diminish that, but. I think the thing that's getting overshadowed is he was quite good at the AHL level last season. And there were some comments coming from, um, you know, there were some comments, I think at one point bonus weighed in and and the coaching staff down in Cedar Park. Uh, The the general theme was in terms of Delandry is he'd kind of proved everything he was going to prove at the AHL level. So this was really, you know, this was really the off season that folks were looking at like, okay, it's time for him to take that step. And until he hurt his hand, it certainly seemed like he was doing so through camp and through early preseason. Well, I think it actually tells you a little bit about what Pete DeBoer is looking at. Because if you take a look at Ty DeLandry and Riley Damiani, those are two guys that were up against quite a bit of competition for those final spots. And both of them kind of have this same get under your skin, uh, in your face type of way of playing hockey. And... There's, you know, there were other guys out there. Olsen played really, really good. Bach played played really well. There were multiple guys in the forward in the forward group that ended up getting sent down that don't have quite that uh, that, that sandpaper type game that Damiani and Delandria bring. Would you say that's you know, Michael? Is that that something you've noticed as well? Yeah, they're definitely the pesky like get in your face under people's skins kind of guys. Uh, I really like that both of those guys have already scored at, you know, NHL level and they've kind of found success. So it's not like there's going to be a mental block or anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I like both of those players a lot. I think they can fit in well at the bottom of the roster for the stars. I, I think that's a really good point, right? Thinking about previous stars prospects, right? We've seen uh, as far back as Rupe Hintz, right? Going, having those, you know, it, it wasn't just, 
you know, Miro, of course, put him on an island and, you know, he's different. He's just made different, as they say. But with a lot of the other prospects, there there was that step back. You know, Robertson didn't immediately enter the team as a 40, you know, 41 goal scorer. And, and you know, Hintz wasn't the guy he is today. So with both Delandria and Robertson, they, uh, Damiani, sorry, and Delandria, they seem to have followed that same trajectory where they, you know, they, they came on initially and didn't quite you know, didn't quite gel, went back, had success at the lower levels. And now to your point, Michael, seem like they've, they've that gotten over that block of, you know, it's no longer like, am I an NHL player, right? It's more, I am an NHL player. Where do I play? I think, I think as well, the point you make, you both make about sandpaper is looking at the rest of this roster. You know, you think about ways it's, it's an interesting, you know, they added, they added Mason Marchment. They've already got Jamie Ben. Right. Um, and now you've got players like Delandria, Damiani. Like th- this is a team that has gotten a little bit more abrasive, I think. And I'm I'm kind of vibing on it. <laughs> I don't hate it. Yeah, it's a it's a different stars lineup. And I wouldn't be surprised if as the season goes along, there, there's a slot out there that kind of rotates through. We have a bunch of guys who are who are uh, who, who can go down to Cedar Park without having to clear waivers. And so. You know, depending on who's hot, we're going to see some different people up there and see see if anybody uh, grabs it and sticks. I've always said I think this is a very weird advantage that certain teams, Dallas being one of them, has is the fact that Cedar Park is a you know three hour car ride makes it to your point, Mark, much much easier. Obviously, if the team is on the road, that's an entirely different thing. But you know, when they're home during the regular season, moving between the AHL and the NHL, like the the physical act of going from the Texas stars to the Dallas stars is a lot simpler than it is. So it really does make sense, right? If you've got guys that are waiver exempt and can play in both places, it's the easiest thing in the world to say, Hey, get it, you know, get, get in your car, right? Grab, grab a flight on Southwest. We, we need you by this evening. And it's really pretty doable to, to inject some of the, that in the lineup. And, and I think, you know, to your, the way these types of players, like the ability to kind of, we've made jokes on this podcast before about how the Texas stars are sometimes a bottom six factory and you can just pluck, you know, pick any, pick anybody off of that roster and they can play in the bottom half of Dallas's lineup. And I think that could be a really interesting having a number of players rotate through those slots can give Dallas some slightly different looks over the course of a long season. But, but are we, are we burying the lead here and not saying anything about Jason Robertson? Who's not, I was about Not to segue. Bottom six. <laughs> we, let's let's get to the Jason Robertson portion of the podcast, and and I'm going to start. I'm going to just throw a general question to both of you, um, Michael. You're the new guy. You got to go first. Apologies, but you know the the deal. Four years. Uh, the cap hit is seven point seven five million. What was your What are your initial thoughts about the contract? Um, I was very surprised. I mean, I expected it to be closer to eight to nine um, to get him. I really like that they did a four-year deal instead of maybe a longer-term one. I don't even know if that was a possibility, but I want—I'd like to think that it's a good idea to kind of keep him hungry. Uh, you don't want to like give him an eight-year deal and let him rest on his laurels, kind of deal. So uh, I'm really excited about it. I'm glad that it's all over. We can end the Robertson signing controversy and topics. Personally, I mean, it was good content, but I'm glad it's done as well. Mark, what are your thoughts about the contract? Yeah, I mean, I, I was never really worried about the the whole deal. Uh, the contract, I think, is in the range that I was looking at it uh, with. And just based on the way the, the whole set of contracts that the Dallas Stars have, um, 
three or four years was kind of what needed to happen in order to keep it under the cap. And there, there's, you know, the NHL is so weird right now because the, the flat cap is not something that anybody really planned for. And so there aren't a whole lot of teams that have this, this you know, vision of three or four years down the line that hasn't been completely thrown up in the air by the fact that it went flat here for the last couple of years. And so that dictated what, what we could potentially do with, with, uh, with Robertson. And I think Neil got it in at, at the number that it needed to come in at. And, and I think it actually works out for Robertson in the long run because four years from now, the caps, the caps going up at a good rate. He's hitting his prime. He, he's going to get paid. Yeah, I mean, I, I I want to hit a couple points you just made. So one, I, I agree. I'm in the camp that this is a huge win-win. This is one of those rare agreements. Robertson probably could have gotten more if you just look at his value both in general and specific to the stars, right? 41 goals is worth a lot in this league. So, you know, he certainly could have held out for more. To your point about Dallas's cap situation, they were never going to hey. have enough to sign him to, you know, an eight-year deal in a flat cap world, right? In, in a, he would have, that would have, that would have had an extra digit behind it to get him to lock in that many years, right? But the thing that I love about this from Dallas's perspective is it walks him one year shy of his true restricted free agency, right? So when he's up for uh, his next contract in 26, 27, he'll still be a restricted free agent. So Dallas will still have first crack at him. So they, they've got a level of certainty, right? They still, despite, you know, not have, not, despite not getting that max length deal, Dallas still isn't going to truly compete on the open market for Jason Robertson services, which is going to give them a little bit more cost certainty. So that's a huge win for Jim Nill, and it's a huge win for the Dallas Stars. Where I think we pivot and say it's also a win for Jason Robertson, I, I know I just talked a lot about whether or not, you know, you know how he probably could have held out for more money. The key, I think, for him is the way that the 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 salary in each year the contract raises, right? So his first year salary is like four and a half million dollars or something like that. And then by the end of it, it's nine point three million. And the reason that this matters is, his qualifying offer is based on the salary of the year that he's a free agent, right? So from Dallas's perspective, he will be a restricted free agent. They'll have a chance to negotiate again without outside interference. That's a win for the team. From Jason Robertson's perspective, that negotiation starts at $9.3 million a year, right? That's the qualifying offer, even though his cap hit is seven, you know, 7.7, right? So if you're Robertson and if you continue to perform and if you continue to be an elite player and if the cap continues to increase – You've got, you know, you've got financial certainty, $31 million in a no income tax state is a lot of money. You've also built in future security because your next negotiation starts with, hey, how much higher than $9.3 million are we going to go, right? You've built in a floor that's already higher than you're at today. So from the player's perspective, the team never had enough money to give him that, you know, max you know, max level, you know, nine by eight deal. They, they just, there wasn't enough cap space without losing a rostered piece, right? So I think this is the next best thing for both. He gets a big chunk of change now. He also gets to cash in as a 27-year-old with a $9.3 million qualifying offer. Dallas gets cap savings in the immediate term. It'll get them out from under the Ben contract, out from under the Foxa, uh, the Foxa contract, Lindell, um, Ryan Suter as well. Like They'll get out from under some pretty significant dollars. The cap will start going up again. And so the next time Dallas has to sit down and negotiate with Jason Robertson, they will have a lot more flexibility and he will have a lot higher 
of a starting point. So I, I do think this is a case where it's just a really good deal for everybody. And for, for all of his failings at times, this, this, the, the podcast is and remains a very pro, you know, Jim Nil knows what he's doing when it comes to the salary cap. Like he just does. Well, and, and the thing that it, it's still a bit of a show me deal, because the one thing that's sitting there on the table is that yeah, it's 41 goals. It's a flash in the pan. You don't mm-hmm. know what's going to happen. If, if he comes out and just blows the doors off for four straight years, that contract number starts with maybe a 13 or a 14 by the time we're, we're at that point. Absolutely. I think that's a big piece of it, right? It's, it is, it's, it's a show me in the sense of it's not a show me you're good contract. It's a show me you're a star contract. And if he can perform on this deal, not only will he as a player be in a position to ask for something with a 13 in it, by the time he asks, Dallas as a team will be in a position to give it to him. Uh, obviously, yeah. if they want to, and if he's playing that well, he deserves it. So, but it, that's that's where we get to the everybody wins. Like, yes, we may very well wind up in a situation where Dallas has to pay out the nose for a 27-year-old superstar, but they have built in the flexibility to be able to pay out the nose for a 27-year-old superstar, right? They'll have a couple of years, you know, maybe he's still product, but like they'll they'll have a couple of years transitioning away from it. Won't be Pavelski driving the line, right? Robertson's probably going, you know, you know, we will have a, a larger sample size of the kind of player that he actually is, which will make the team evaluation a lot easier. Yep. Okay. Speaking of great contracts, let's uh, let's kind of switch over to the defense and let's hit up uh, Essa Lindell and Ryan Sear. There we go. <laughs> Man, you just can't let us be positive for too long, Mark. Oh, I'm ready. Well, I, I mean, the, the defense is kind of the one area where there are some question marks. Um, you know, we, we, we've had some great discussions about Thomas Harley and, and his spot with the team. And uh, now, now we have Niels Lundqvist coming in. And there's even talk about Harley going back to the, the AHL and people not being terribly disappointed with that. That's a change. Yeah, and I think that that is a change. And, and Michael, what is your level of disappointment if Thomas Harley starts the season in the A? Um, well, it's tough. You know, I've seen um, moments of greatness from him uh, last year, and then there's times where I felt kind of let down with his play. I just feel like he's still a little inconsistent. I remember a number of turnovers when it's like, man, you shouldn't be making that turnover. But... So far with Nils Lundqvist, uh, I've liked what I've seen. I mean, obviously he's scored the two goals in the preseason, and that's a great start. But uh, as far as Harley, I don't know. It's kind of an enigma to me. I don't know if he belongs on the team myself. Yeah, I keep having to take a deep breath and remind myself that Thomas Harley is still just 21. And it's this is where... You, you, you got to, in the back here, this is where being on a team with Miro Haskinen probably sucks a little bit because this is a guy that, like, you know, the kid the kid in the class that just falls out of bed and knows all the answers to the test. And, like, you're Thomas Harley, and you're a very good player, and you're very accomplished, and you're still very much, we are nowhere near any kind of panic point on his trajectory. But things are so skewed because there's a, you know, 23-year-old all-world player that kind of walked into the NHL and was amazing on day one, right? So I am... I, I would I have also disappointed is the wrong. I, I'm going to give myself a caveat. I dis, I've been disappointed in Harley in the sense of if the standard was watching him, you know, kind of kick the doors down in training camp and demand a spot on the team. If that's the bar, then I do think Thomas hasn't quite cleared that 
and and you know he hasn't put it together and he hasn't demanded inclusion in a, in the same way that Lundquist has so far but at the same time I he's got time and I I don't I don't hate the idea of him going down to be a you know top pairing player in Cedar Park for a little while versus being in the mix on the bottom you know is is he better off with John, with Yanni Hockenpah you know skating in that 5 6 7 spot for the Dallas Stars or is he better being, you know, the number one option on the Texas Stars power play for a little while? Right. Well, and, and he'll probably be number two on the Texas Stars power power play because number one will probably be Ben Gleason. But uh, the the thing I always have to remember with Harley, he, he's one of these guys who came up and got that AHL time in because juniors weren't around. Yeah. And so his, his big season when he should have been just blowing the doors off in the in juniors was one that he spent with the Texas stars. And, and he had a really good year for somebody who is in essence, you know, your Wyatt Johnston or Logan Stankhoven uh, and, and the spot that they were going to be in for, for this year. Um, and I think the other part that I would say with Harley is I'm not sure that we've really figured out and, and he probably hasn't figured out what his game is. There have been all these expectations out there regarding, you know, he's going to be the next Klingberg. He's going to lead the power play. Um, when I look at Harley's game, I don't necessarily see those as necessarily playing to his strengths. He's a really good skater. He moves the puck out of the defensive zone really well. Um, he, he possesses the puck well in the offensive zone, but he's not an incredible passer. Um so there are some things there that are excellent, but there are some other things that he maybe gets compared to people who have other skill sets, and, and you expect him to come in and, and be just like those other guys who are really good at those other things. And so we kind of have to get to the point where we appreciate Harley for who he is and, and understand his game as opposed to just trying to plug, you know, plug him into X person's slot. Are there better comparables? Um, of course, I'm going to follow up your "Let's appreciate him for who he is" question with a comparison question. If it's not, if it's not, you know, Klingberg, who who is stylistically, in your eyes, a similar player to Thomas Harley? I, I don't know. Fair, Thomas Harley, I guess. Sample yeah. size of one. He'll be interesting, and like I said, I think I think there's time, and I still think he's going to be a very big part in the long term of Dallas's defensive core. And if anything, maybe the emergence of Lundqvist gives him more of a he won't have to be the solution, right? For a defensive core that really is a pretty big question mark coming into the season, maybe it's not the worst thing in the world that everybody's not looking down at Harley on the bench and thinking, why aren't you fixing this 21 year old prospect? Right, and I, I just kind of view it as he's a year younger than Lundqvist is, and he may, maybe he's at the spot where, where Lundqvist was the beginning of last year. I kind of feel like if the uh, Stars front office felt like he was ready, ready, they wouldn't have brought in Miller and Lundqvist in the offseason, you know? Maybe they kind of feel the same bit of hesitation that we're kind of talking about. I think it's a great point. Um, you know, I think you're – this is the team that needed options. And yeah, if you're looking at the way the lineup fills out, I think especially Miller, I think Lundqvist feels like he feels like a guy that you go after if you have the means to, but I, I think you're right. They would have, if, if, 
if Harley was just lay down hand ready to go and everybody knew that, we would have seen a different approach this offseason for sure. So yeah. it's a pretty complete, you know, it's it this is the group now. We're we're gonna get, you know, there there'll be a couple I think they've got to Technically, they're at 25 players on a 23-man roster, but that includes, you know, the likes of Will Butcher, you know, Joel Hanley, obviously the two, you know, Johnston, Stankoven we talked about already, Kiviranta. Like, there's there's some guys um, that, that can go down. So we're, we're kind of looking at the – we're kind of looking at what the roster is going to look like. And so I'd like to close by talking a little bit about, you know, line combinations. And, and now that, that all of the ingredients have been gathered, how do you see this – um, you know, how do you see this coming together? And, and Michael, we'll start with you. Do you think if you're putting on your, your Pete DeBoer hat right now, are you, do you think that the last season's top line that, that hence Robertson Pavelski is going to be a focus for your offense? Well, I think at some point it has to be put out on the ice and just to see how they're going to perform. You know, after the success they had last year, it's hard not to at least try them out a little bit. I think you have to. It's nice to have the the blanket. Do you feel like, do you feel like the team also needs to like needs to look at options outs like breaking up the top line? Oh, definitely. I, I think with the new system, it it might be beneficial to look at different options. Um, Mason Marchman is a, a piece too that man. I, I used to hate him when we played Florida Panthers. He is <laughs> one of those like Corey Perry, get under your skin kind of players, and uh, he he's going to bring a lot of grit and uh, excitement to the team, and so. I don't know. He might be an option to play with some, you know, I don't know. They're going to have to mix it up a little bit and see what works for him, I guess. I mean, I think have to, and I think should, right? Good teams, good teams find different looks and, and the best version of the stars team is, is certainly a version that can run the, the hence line down your throat. And then just when you think you're starting to adjust all of a sudden, you know, they can pop. We, we saw in, in preseason, um, Gurionov hence and Marchment looked like a pretty formidable trio. So the version of this team that can, you know, in the past, right, Dallas has been a one line team. And when they had to break up the one line, it all fell apart. They get to a point where they're a one line team, but then can break up that one line and be different one. You know, that that's I think that's a huge positive. It gives them so many more options and, and allows them to put different types of pressure on their opponents. Um you know, Mark, what do you, what what are your thoughts on on deployment of the that those kind of top line resources? I mean, I, I think you have to break it up. I, I, I like where that line of Marchment and Hints and Gurianov was going. Um, I think that the skill sets that Pavelski and Robertson have work well together. And I think you can find a center that works with them. You know, I'd I'd actually be interested in seeing Wyatt Johnson uh, get a chance to to Put himself in the middle of that group. Um, he's a top. Do you six think guy he can handle a, the defensive load? I mean, I'm, Pavelski is quite good. I've been surprised at how co- complete a player he is, and, and Robertson isn't isn't terrible. But neither neither Joe nor Jason are, are renowned as kind of shutdown guys. And, and does moving Johnston between the two of them is that too much pressure? It, I mean, I, I think the kid thrives on pressure. I. I probably would bury him in the offensive zone a a little bit more than I would some other lines. But I think that's a line that has the opportunity to just be a possession monster and you play defense by keeping the puck out of your zone. Yeah. Yeah. I I think there's a a lot to be said for there. Um, Let's, let's pivot a little bit further down the lineup and, and Michael, what do you think this team has left in Tyler Sagan? I expect a lot from Tyler this year. Uh, I kind of, you know, he had the full season last year, but he's coming off the hip surgery. Uh, this year, I expect to see 25 goals out of him at least. 
Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm optimistic, but I think Jamie Benn could be in that category too. That's interesting. I, 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 I don't disagree, but we were, I was venting at least in, in the pre-call looking at, at some line combinations, putting, it was Ben Foxa and Gurionov together. I, I'm more optimistic. It's, it's interesting, right? Tyler, I think is a huge question mark because he should be healthy. And there were definitely late last, as, as last season wore on, he seemed to get better. And if you're an optimist, you're looking at that and saying he had a very severe injury that with a, a lengthy recovery time and, you know, injury recovery for athletes isn't binary, right? It's not like you're, you're hurt and then you're back on the ice and you're immediately hundred percent, right? That's just not how, so there's, there's a world in which you make the case and say that the Tyler Sagan at the end of last season is more representative of who he is now. And if that's the case, then Michael, I, I agree with you. He, he is a, you know, he's not not a one a, 1A, you know, one center anymore, but he's, he's a verifiable capital W NHL weapon. Um, ben is more interesting to me because for him, I think he's, it's more about load management. I don't think there's, there's not like a specific thing that doesn't, you know, he's not coming back from a specific injury and he seems like he has a couple of stretches. So I think if you're Pete DeBoer, the, the challenge with Ben is how do you engineer it so that you give him enough support to trigger those kind of beast mode stretches and then understand it's almost like you have to understand when he's feeling like what nights to what nights to hitch the wagon to him and hey let's let's have a throwback then night and, and see how far you can take us and then the understanding of like what nights not to do that right and how do you how do you get him involved when he needs to be involved and not involved when he doesn't need to be you know what i mean you can't just tank him with you know, can't just put turf on the fourth line and expect magic, right? So you have to put him in scoring situations, but you have to be real careful about when you do it, I think. I also expect a lot more from Guriana this year. If ever, right? If, 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 if there is more than any other player on this roster, Dennis Guriana, you, you would hope that he is just every night doing the mantra in front of the, in front of the, the Stuart smile. Like I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh, right. darn it. My right. one timer is going to score a million goals. Like if, if ever there was a guy that needed a fresh start, it's him and he got one. And I just, I want it to happen so bad. I mean, I know he's looking to shoot it. He had eight shots on goal the other, the other game against the abs. So he is. And, and I remember earlier in the preseason, DeBoer had a really interesting point about, you know, they moved, he moved on the power play, he moved Gurionov away from that bumper spot, that kind of, you know, mid zone creator. And and he talked exactly what you're saying. He's like, no, this kid's a shooter. He should be shooting. And it, it seems like, and we'll see once the game's action. But like I said, I just saw a line, a line sheet that had Gurionov with Fax and Ben, and that makes me nervous. But it seems like DeBoer's attitude is much more geared towards let's make him do the thing that he's good at as much as, as much as we can more so than let's worry about the stuff that he's not as good at, which has to be like, you say, yeah, if you get, if you can find a way to get Gurionov headed downhill, shooting the puck as hard as he can, good things will happen. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would argue that maybe we're going to see some interesting things from the guys that we uh, don't necessarily expect it from some of the grinders. Because I, I, I saw this consistently in the last couple of preseason games where the Stars are getting plenty of shots. They're getting them from the outside, but they aren't really making it to the net and mm -hmm. they aren't getting in a place where they can get rebounds. And I think that we have some guys on this on this team where if they need to do what it takes to, to get in front of the net, 
then that's where they need to be. And uh, you know, one of the reasons I think Damiani's around is that he's one of the few guys who is out there consistently getting in front of the net. And he was getting obliterated doing it, but he's he's not afraid to, to get in there. But that fits Fox's game. Now, that to some degree, that fits Glenn Denning's game. It it actually fits Kivaranta's game a little bit as well. Yeah, and it's, it that also jives with, stylistically, DeBoer had some, you know, with, with bonus. Bonus was much more structured in how he used his lines, that you had two scoring lines, you had a dedicated checking line, and then you had a fourth line that was sort of, you know, fix it knife energy whatever you want to call it right whereas DeBoer the book on him is more like every line is expected to do a little bit of everything right there's not just there's not just this sense of no your line's job is to play defense dump it and get off the ice right so I think you're right that that in the bottom six there is going to be a little bit more of a focus on can we generate something can we score a little bit can we you know can we tilt the ice um Positively, so yeah, I think it is going to be interesting to see who responds to that. There were some fascinating comments. Um, Fox had talked about it, where and I, I forget the exact quote, so I, I'm paraphrasing, but he talked about how it impacted his confidence. And when your role every night is to go out and play defense as a forward, it adjusts your mindset, right? You don't think about offense, you don't think about attacking, and it, it can kind of dull those instincts. And he had some really interesting comments about how one of the things that that he's adjusting to. And looking forward to is that those are he now has some expectation of offense, and that's going to have to change the way that he plays because his role is different. And I could see that being, you know, I could see that resounding for a couple of guys in that that bottom grouping. Yeah, and and to tell you the truth, I I'm kind of expecting to see a little bit more offense out of Essa Lindell specifically for that reason. Because I think Lindell, if nothing else, is somebody who listens to the coach and does what the coach asks him to do. Yeah, and, I mean, and, he's, he, and, and he got a bad rap for being this guy who would just kind of be a be a no puck moving, kick it up the boards defender uh, under bonus. But that's what bonus wanted him to do. And so here, if he's getting a new coach on it with with Pete DeBoer, who's telling him that he needs to get his shot on net, I I think. Essa's game is specifically listen to the coach and execute. Yep. I think not only that, right, is not only, yes, from a coaching standpoint, he's going to be pushed to do those things, but this team also needs him to do that as well, right? We're, we're talking yep. about Lungfist as if he's going to be some kind of answer. He's 22 and just joined the team in trades. You know, Harley, right? Th- this is a team that that lost a major piece of their transition game in John Klingberg. And so, from a coaching standpoint, I think it's very real to 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 uh, to think that S is going to be asked to do more, um, to contribute more, right? Because that's the way DeBoer wants him to play. But part of it as well is DeBoer wants him to play because somebody has to, right? Otherwise, if if they can't get a little bit more out of Lindell, then it's it's even more the Miro show, and that's that's dangerous. Even as as good as as Haskin is, he needs there needs to be other guys in that defensive group that can contribute offensively. Okay. Any other any other comments here? Uh, we want to spend a couple hours talking about Anton Hood Open going uh, on waivers, heading to Cedar Park. I mean, it was always going to happen. You just can't yep. you can't have three guys at the NHL level, and and the way that last season shook out, I think that it it was pretty clear that this team is a is an Ottinger Wedgewood jive, right? And and you know if you put Jim Nill under the super secret truth ray, he probably would admit that he was hoping Hudobin would 
come, you know, kind of bounce back and look like a million bucks in the preseason. And all of a sudden he's a, you know, a tradable asset or, or something you can flip to get out from under a little bit of a cap hit. But, you know, I think that writing was pretty clearly on the wall. Michael, we'll start with you. What's uh, what's your hot take for the season? What are we going to be surprised with from the Dallas Stars this year? <clears throat> well, I think I want to say that the Dallas Stars are going to have more points than the Colorado Abs at the end of the season. Wow. Wow. It's going to be first. Actually, I have the Predators. I have the Predators as the best team in the Central. You're in the right now. I Mark the tape, KT. <laughs> the Flames is a big loss for Colorado, and people are overrating them. And I'm I'm excited to see how it plays out. But also Nashville, they're scary. They they added Nino Niederreiter and Ryan McDonough from the Tampa Bay Lightning. They look scary to me. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, that's my hot take. That's wow. that's a fantastic take. That's that's amazing. That that's like a mic drop. I don't my my hot take just went out the window. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say Guriano flirts with 20 goals. That was going to be my hot take. I feel like I need to go back to the takery. <laughs> well, here, here. Why don't, why don't you and I have, have some lukewarm takes here, Wes? That's right. My, my, tepid, my tepid water take is that I, I don't know that I want to go. I haven't seen enough yet to go as far on a limb and say that he's going to be all the way back and, and some kind of monstrous goal-destroying force of the universe. But... I think that we will see more of the good Gurion of this season than we've seen of the bad, because I do think that that at the end of the day, he has a very valuable core skill, right? And I'm a, I'm a big proponent at the NHL level of guys make it at this level because, you know, they have an NHL level blank, right? And, and Gurionov can skate at an NHL level and he can shoot at an NHL level. And it seems to me the the very early signs are that he has a coach that is interested in fixating on those two aspects of his game and my hope is that without as much baggage with a little bit more leash that you know a little bit more maturity as well there's a little bit more in the lineup around him talent wise um, i'm not saying dallas is like up to tier or anything but i think that dennis gurionov will have it will have more of an opportunity this season that he has in the past. And if he can be a guy that gets eight shots a night, I mean, not eight shots a night, that'd be insane. But if he can be a guy that, that can consistently get shots, he will be a guy that consistently gets goals, which will you know hopefully create kind of one of those positive feedback loops, right? He'll find a role in the power play. He'll get time with scorers that hence Marchment, you know, Guriana combination might become a thing. Like, so I, I think we are going to see something of an offensive resurgence from Dennis Guriana this season. I love it. And I will, uh, I will finish with my tepid take and then an obvious conclusion. Uh, my tepid take is that we now have with the Stars two industrial strength slappers, and we haven't had a real good slap shot on this team since, since Sheldon Soare. And I think Colin Miller and Nils uh, Lindqvist will bring some heat in an offense that asks for slappers from the point. Yep. And we're going to score a lot from, from up there with those hard shots. Yeah. And, and, and the obvious conclusion then is that this year, Ryan Suter will not lead defenseman goal scored. Mm. I mean, I, I think it's going to be Miro. They're going to untrack him, but yeah, Lundqvist oh, yeah. looks like I haven't seen as much as Miller, but Nils looks like he has a, a shin guard obliterator. One of those that just like you get to the bench and there's a hairline crack down the middle of the thing. He, he can spank it. Yep. Oh yeah. 
And you're right. And that's that's a DeBoer. We, we, when we talked about the great tragedy of John Klingberg, is that is a DeBoer offense characteristic. They want to use the points. They want those heavy shots through traffic. They want to get them on net. And yeah, if, if this this I could see that and I want to see that. And there are going to be some some crooked number MPHs when those guys start uncorking it. And hopefully it works out well. We're close. Season openers is coming around. Um, we'll probably get one more cast in, maybe two, before the the season kicks off in earnest. But Michael, it's fantastic to have you on the team. Thanks, Mark. Mark. As always, thanks oh, we, for this. We need to, um, we need to name stitching drop. it all together. And thanks for listening. Don't forget to download us. Don't forget to like us. Track us down and follow us on all the socials. And um, let's let's just get real excited about the start of the season. Hey Wes, before before we go, we do need to name drop. We are going to have a special guest. This there season. we go. So uh, so this uh, we will do a little deep diving into the Texas Stars, and and anybody who's been with this cast for a while knows what that means. So so drop the name. <laughs> Stephen Meeser, uh, hundred degree hockey, will be uh, joining us as a, with a little Texas Stars preview uh, this coming week. It's going to be an interesting season down in Cedar Park as well. I think we've, you know, this this is going to be this year with Bork and the next year. Like we're we're entering a phase where both rosters are going to be really really fascinating, and so I, I can't wait to to talk to Stephen and, and see what's coming up. And and thank you, gents, for your time. And, and we will we'll be back at this soon. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.